Warning, this podcast may be disturbing to some listeners. Due to the graphic nature, listener discretion is advised. Welcome from wherever you are. This is the Demon Inside Podcast. I'm your host, John Benham. If you would like to review another episode of the Demon Inside, you can go to Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and any podcast platform. And please, don't forget to subscribe and rate us with five stars. A new episode will come out once a week. And welcome back to the Demon Inside. Hello, my Demon Insiders, and welcome back to the Demon Inside. I'm your host, John Venom, and today we are going to be doing the continuation of Henry Lee Lucas. We're also going to be talking about his counterpart, Otis Toole. So last week, we talked about Henry, that he was a serial killer who said he had killed over 3,000 people. When he moved to Jacksonville, Florida, again, he was drifting at this time, he met Otis Toole, who was also a serial killer. And Otis kind of had the same background as Henry. Otis's mother was a fanatical Christian who would allow family members, including her oldest daughter, to rape Otis at the age of five. His family would also allow the neighbors to have sex with him for money. And if that's not enough, as punishment, Otis was dressed as a girl and called Susie by family members. The only one who treated him halfway decent was his grandmother, but she was a devout Satanist. You heard me right. She was a Satanist. This is the part that I am interested in. She would call him the devil's child. She would take him on grave digging or grave robbing expeditions to get corpses and cut off pieces of body parts to create spell work or worshiping sessions. So this got Otis accustomed to dead bodies and a kind of new understanding on humans. He believed that people, dead or alive, served a purpose. Much like animal slaughters, people were no different. So in this, I am sure that the grandma used Otis in these rituals as he was a pure child at the time. And in using this child, she probably offered him up to Satan. And how many demons would have taken advantage of that? So how many demons were really inside of Otis' tool? So Otis became an arsonist and found sexual pleasure by watching things burn. Could this be a demon? Well, of course it could. But what demon? 
So I did research and I found a demon that causes fire, the demon of fire. And it's an Akuma. And it's an evil spirit in Japanese folklore. It's sometimes described in English language, sources as a devil or demon. An alternative name for the Akuma is Ma. Akuma is the name assigned to Satan in Japanese Christianity and the Mara in Japanese Buddhism. An Akuma is typically depicted as an entity with a fiery head and flaming eyes and carrying a sword. It is said to be a harbinger of misfortune to those who see it. Traditionally, the Japanese describe mental illness as a direct result of the presence of Akuma. Well, Otis definitely had mental illness. Otis had a very low IQ, almost at the verge of mental retardation. And because of this, he was more prone to things happening to him spiritually. Because not knowing what he says yes to and then believing in what his grandmother is practicing, you know, since she was his basically adult figure. So at the age of 10, Otis came out as being gay and the abuse just grew worse. At the age of 14, he ran away from home and began drifting, much as Henry did. And he decided to start doing sex work. He figured that if his father and mother could sell him to the neighbors and make money off of him, why couldn't he do the same thing? So one day he was with a salesman who he had sex with for money. And for some odd reason, something happened that Otis got angry. And I suppose it was a disagreement. Otis, who was 14 at the time, remember that, ran him, ran over the salesman with his car. So there's no proof of this. There was no police reports on this or anything. So this could be possibly a lie of Otis. But then again, it could be for real. Otis grew up as a burglar, an arsonist, and a killer. Otis and Henry met each other in a soup line in Jacksonville, Florida. Otis got to talking to Henry, and before you knew it, he took Henry home. Otis bringing men home wasn't anything new. His family knew that Otis was bisexual, and Otis would sometimes bring men to have sex with him, or he would let these men have sex with his wife while he watched. But after a while, Henry and Otis got closer and became lovers. This is when they began their killing spree. So for me, this is unusual for serial killers first to find one another because of the secrets that they keep. 
because of the thoughts that they have, most people wouldn't understand. But Henry and Otis were pretty much the same person. And I'm going to tell you why later on, why I think they were the same. And eventually, these two serial killers who are supposed to be non-feeling, didn't care about human beings, didn't care about life, didn't care about death, didn't care about anything, but they fell in love with each other. There were times when Otis would even get jealous of Lucas. They would go out and kidnap a woman And while Otis was driving, Lucas would be raping the woman in the back of the car or the van or the truck or whatever it may be because they were in the habit of stealing vehicles all the time. So while Lucas was raping her, Otis would get jealous, take the woman, pull her out of the car, push her off into the side of the road and usually shoot them. And Otis told Henry he'd done more killing than he had told him about. Otis had been a member of the satanic cult, the Hand of Death, and he wanted Henry to join. This to me makes sense for Otis growing up in a satanic cult with his grandmother. Lucas later confessed that he wanted to join and told Otis. He understood he would be killed if he did anything to betray the cult and that the only way out of of the cult was death. And this again explains how Otis was already involved in this cult group. His parents hadn't taught him about religion to Henry, so there was nothing in Henry's way of becoming a Satanist. Worshipping the devil really meant nothing to Henry. Otis told Henry that the satanic rituals would keep them safe and from being caught. So this is a common trait in the Mexican cartels where they uh, worship Santa Muerte because they believe that Santa Muerte is going to keep them from being seen by police officers. He said there was a power there they could be protected by as long as they obeyed the coat. Henry and Otis went to Florida to have Henry see the training camp that was set up in the Everglades. As far as secret encampments, the Everglades in Florida would be ideal. So there in an isolated spot, they met a man named Don that Otis seemed to know well. It was becoming clear to Henry that Otis had already proved himself to the cult many times over, and now he must do the same if he wanted to join. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. And welcome back to The Demon Inside. And now it's time for the Uber shout-out of the week. Today I had John in my car who I took to work at the Circle K. And uh, John was kind of like, poor guy, he really didn't bring up my podcast. I actually brought it up to him because I 
got sick this past week and I wasn't able to drive Uber and I really didn't have any shout outs. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to ask this guy if I could shout out his name. And he actually liked the podcast when I shared it with him. So thank you, John, for that. And thank you for letting me use you. And then I also want to say hi to Sabrina, who got in my car under the name of Justin. Uh, but she was on her way home and we got to talking And this was, again, one of these females that was by herself. And we started talking about the demon inside and and my show. And, you know, it was really neat because she actually liked it. And she got on there right away and actually hit, you know, five stars for me. So I really do appreciate that, Sabrina. So wish you guys the best. They went to a tent where a young man was drinking and smoking. Don looked at Henry and told him, kill him and make it clean. Only then will you be a part of us. The man was a student who had betrayed his oath to the cult and must be killed, Don explained. Otis had a bottle of whiskey and was ready to go. They walked down to the water with the young man who was still drinking and talking. Henry waited until he until the young man stood at the edge of the water and was tipping his head back for a drink. That's when he grabbed the man's head, pulled it back further, and slit his throat so deeply that the whiskey poured out, mingled with blood flowing down Henry's hands. Don smiled at such a clean kill. The body, according to Henry, was used in a cult ritual where the body was mutilated, the heart cut out, and some of the flesh eaten. After that, Henry was a member and in training. According to him, all new members had a sponsor. The camp had both men and women and had both day and night activities. Days were for training in all forms of crime, murder, kidnapping, rape, drugs, selling, and the making of pornographic movies and photos. At night, there were liquor and drugs for everyone, and Henry claimed sex was plentiful. There were evening sacrifices. Transient people, or sometimes people who had in some way or another betrayed the cult and were considered a liability. It was as if there were no shortages of bodies to be killed. And Henry was quite willing to kill as many as he possibly could. Engaging in the training activities with his partner assigned by the coat, Henry was trained for seven weeks in almost every form of criminal activity imaginable. Shortly after his training was completed, he was assigned to the kidnapping division of the organization. Otis was there to work with him, and they were told they could make a lot of money by kidnapping. There would be no killing, and it would be much easier. So Otis and Henry's assignments were kidnapping kids, babies, pretty much newborns, from hospitals and taking them across the border 
to be sowed or to be used in sacrifices. They did this. They did kidnappings of teenage girls uh, to be used in snuff films. They Henry wanted to get back into killing. Henry was done with all these like kidnapping stuff, and he wanted something more. So he asked to be transferred to a killing unit. In one year, he claimed to have carried out six high-profile executions. Most of these were in Texas and Mexico, with one in Canada. He told the police, this is Henry telling the police, at the time of his incarceration, that he was offered the job of delivering the cyanide to Jim Jones' Iguana and assassinating the president, Jimmy Carter. Could this be possible? Henry said that the organization had so many powerful people and money that they could be flown in a private plane to do their bidding. So how much of this is fact and how much of this is a lie? How much of this did Lucas lie about? Again, how much of this is true? And to be honest with you, with our show, how much of this is a lie by a demon? Killings and sacrifices and rituals and a cult and worshiping demons is allowing demons to invade you, whether you believe it or not. So no, Lucas not believing didn't matter. And that's very important to remember now. But you must also remember, we have two men that have allowed demons to inhabit who they are from an early age, to allow demons to take control. What are the chances that these two men with similar backgrounds, and I'm talking about abnormal backgrounds, we're talking about people aren't usually raised by, pe- by women or men or whatever to be used as sex slaves, or to be dressed as, you know, female and when they're male. These two guys were abused like no others. How would they go about to find each other? Could this be one demon working to bring them together? Could this demon be a part of both men. Sure you can. And again, what demon? Zesbeth is a demon of lies and legends who invents untrue tales. Its name in Arabic is the liar. Can there be more than one demon in a person? Absolutely there can. We talked about this on the episode with Matthew Bernard. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to Matthew Bernard's episode. And I talk about how he had two demons that I believe were in him. And let me explain why they're allowed to do this. When a lesser demon comes into a person, a higher demon can come in kind of like a doorway This demon, once they're inside, once you allow a a lesser demon in you, 
the lesser demon is the one that says, yes, you're allowed to come in. And he'll allow demons, higher demons, any kind of demon to come in. You don't have to say yes anymore. You already did once. That was enough. This is what's called an infestation, or it's also called nesting, where these demons get inside their souls or their, their bodies and just sit and wait. When an exorcism is performed on, on demons or people with two or three demons or whatever, usually the lesser demon will be casted out. While the other demon, the bigger, the higher demon, will hide deeper in the person. And if the exorcist doesn't know what he's doing and doesn't realize that there's more than one demon, then it's worthless. So now I bring you this question. Can a demon hide inside two separate people at the same time? I believe they can. I believe that a demon who splits himself in two holes can bring himself together, for instance, in the meeting of two serial killers as Lucas and Otis. I believe Lucas and Otis killed many people. Maybe not the people that law enforcement think. I think that if law enforcement wouldn't have been throwing cases at them, I believe the true number would have come out. Because if you really think about it, the cases that they were bringing to them, think about this, they would lie about because they were being treated great. They were getting food, they were getting cigarettes, they were being traveled. They were getting out of prison. They were living like kings as far as prisoners go. How is this a demon, though? When you're not caring what it is doing to the families of the people that were missing or dead. When you're not caring how it makes them feel. When you say, oh, yeah, I killed them. And then they find out later that you didn't. They lose hope again. They lose trust. They lose faith. This is what a true demon does. They cause suffering and hardship. All due to lies. So this is going to be my last episode for this year of 2023. And guys, I really do appreciate you guys listening to my show. I... I'm ecstatic that I have fans now. Uh, everybody's been sending me uh, messages and things like that. Please feel free while I'm off for this weekend is my birthday. The following weekend is Christmas. And after that is New Year's Eve. I really want to say Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays from the Venomous family. And if you haven't heard all my shows, go ahead and go back. Re-listen to them because I'm coming out with whole new episodes in January. I really do want to express to you happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and take care. And we'll see you all in January. And hopefully your year next year will be better than this one.
Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. Don't forget to subscribe to the Demon Inside podcast on any podcast platform. A new episode of the Demon Inside will be released every week. Let us know what you think of the episode on all our social media platforms. If you have any questions or comments, go to the Demon Inside podcast at gmail.com or click on the link down below. We would love to hear from you. And to become a Demon Insider, go to our website, thedemoninsidepodcast.com. We thank you for listening and hope you will join us next week for a new Demon Inside podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends. I am John Venom, and I'll see you next time. If I don't get possessed. The Demon Inside was written and created by James Porter. It is a production of Venomous Entertainment. Background music is by Lucas King. And the title song, Demon Inside, was produced by Rice Pulver, composer lyricist Peter Shelley, and performed by Conjure One.